hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Not D&D. I'm your host, Jessica, and you may also spot another familiar face, even tripping over my words. I don't know, let me try that again. Oh, it's going to be one of those. Sorry, Ryan. All no, right, you're fine, you're fine. Um, all right. Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of Not D&D, uh, brought to you by EM World Live. I'm your host, Jessica, as always, and we have a returning guest here this week. Uh, we have Ryan Cagle from Paradox Press back again. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Of course. Well, you put another game out. So we had you on back in January to talk about um, your game Defragmentation, which people can go back in the archives and have a listen to, but your latest game, Gloom, Tarot and Tarot, looks really interesting. So I reached out again, wanted to have you back on the show to come and talk about it. And it was perfect timing because it's Halloween, so people are wanting to play some horror games. And this really jumped out at me because it's uh, more of a minimalist game. So it feels something really approachable to just pick up and try out with your friends over spooky season. Um, so we'll, we'll dive into this and talk about that. But usually, as people that know the show, uh, you know, listen to the show, and you, Ryan, as a guest on the show previously know, I usually ask about your history and background with RPGs, but we already kind of covered that ground in January. So I thought instead we could talk about how your year in gaming has been. Uh, so since you were with us in January, now we're in October, how, do you have any particular gaming highlights, any games that you've been playing or mechanics you've been particularly liking? Yeah, um, I still, I guess at this point, I still have pl been playing mostly solo games. Um, okay. And in the most typically, I, I just find like the most obscure games on itch, or that you know, just that mm -hmm. are come up that are solo that I can play. I'm a big fan of those, and so there's a bunch of solo games I've been playing. Um, but group games. Uh, so uh, alongside Paradox Press, I, I have another com company. It's not the right word for it. Uh, another project uh, called Roll for Spirituality, and so basically mm -hmm. it uses tabletop games kind of as a medium for self-discovery, healing, introspection, those kind of things. And so I just finished up a huge grant project for it, where I worked with mm -hmm. several groups, and so we use the game Dream Chaser. Mm -hmm. um so if you're if you're not familiar with dream chaser it's just such a wonderful system and it's perfect for that kind of work but it's really just perfect for any kind of gaming so played a bunch of group uh, or led a bunch of people in playing you know as a gm uh, with dream chaser and it's a system that i just love um and it's super fun it's flexible in a way that i don't think any other tabletop rpg that i've played um is so i like the ability to really give players players agency and the ability to kind of have some storytelling power and things like that and a lot of that happened in dream chaser um mm -hmm. and i hope some of that kind of bleeds over as well into the gloom and my other projects i'm i'm very much not a typical uh you know dm is kind of like ruling mm -hmm. power over everything um you know like we talked about before the last time i was here I cut my teeth on D&D 3.5, but I've definitely, the, I think the older I get, the more games I play, the more I like being able to be a part of like communal and collective storytelling mm -hmm. together. So, Fab. And that's definitely, I think, what you can see in, in Gloom with the influence there. So um, to give people, I mean, it's, uh, one thing I should say is it's live on Kickstarter right now. So, uh, and it's it's literally ending tomorrow. Um, so if you're watching or listening to this, it ends on the 24th of October. Um, so if, if at all interested, go check it out. Um, times of the essence of this one um yeah. but yes could you give people uh, an overview of uh what the game is so what is gloom tarot and terror yeah so gloom is uh really a minimalist horror tabletop role-playing game um it's something that actually uh is kind of the 
the fourth or fifth iteration almost kind of in, in the design because it was originally designed as a part of like when I first started designing games, I challenged myself to design a single page minimalist game could be front or back a month for a whole year. And oh, so wow. I did that. Uh, a few years ago, and uh, this game, um, the earlier earliest version of this game got picked up as a part of the Longtail Games uh, Tiny Tome project that released. Mm -hmm. I think it was, it, it was, I'm thinking it was last year, it might have been the year before that, where they mm -hmm. basically did a whole um, jam on itch and people submitted games, and 50 of those games got bundled together and publishing a book through Longtail Games. And so uh, Gloom was, I, I entered in a couple of those one page games that I had worked on and Gloom was one of the ones that got uh, picked for that. And so nice. I really loved it. Um, I really loved it as a one page game, but I really wanted to find a way to expand it and lean more into those themes and the, the things that kind of had, um, wasn't as, as deeply developed as I wanted. And so I began probably sometime last year working on it again and thinking through like what this would look like. Um, and I'm, I'm really interested in weird and strange games, like thematically and mechanically, but also in like delivery, you know, mm -hmm. defragmentation that l the last game I was on here to talk about, you know, it's a solo game, but it's card based. So it's all, mm -hmm. all these cards or whatever, and everything's in a tuck box with all the rules in the tuck box and those kind of things. And so I was thinking about like with Gloom, uh, tarot cards um, kind of take place uh, is the, the thing that drives the narrative, but also player actions, whether they mm -hmm. succeed or fail. And um, so I got to thinking about what would it mean to just package this game as a tarot deck. And so that's kind mm -hmm. of how that, that idea came along. But uh, Gloom is really meant, like we talked about telling collective stories. It's helped to, it, it's designed to kind of help players weave together the compelling stories of suspense and tension. It's really mm -hmm. influenced by, you know, the, the kind of boys on bikes, bike or kids on bikes genre of mm -hmm. movies from the eighties and nineties and um, all of those kind of things, you know, um, Growing up in the rural South, uh, we have all kinds of folklore and things, you know, about the woods and, and those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And so that was a, definitely a big influence of like what it, what it means to be like those childhood imaginations as a kid of like fighting great evils yeah. in small, isolated communities, you know, whether they're ancient or new, you know, and we've seen mm -hmm. obviously, I think, a cultural resurgence in some of those themes, like with Stranger Things and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, we kind of put those stories back in, in their current um current cultural space and so gloom is open enough to be to allow like a lot of create creative agency within the players who can play be played with a gm or with, without a gm um, okay. but the biggest thing is that it's really functions more as kind of a a broad uh setting and genre for player experience and it, it relies really heavily on the aesthetics of experience playing the game mm -hmm. you know the the part of the game is that you should play in the dark with just a handful of, of candles and okay. those candles um, slowly throughout the game become extinguished. And if they all become extinguished before kind of the, the end resolution, then um, basically everyone loses. Um, but again, it's really not a win or lose thing more as it is about telling a really good, compelling story. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, so that's, I find it interesting mechanically that, the items you need to uh, play the game is obviously like a pen and paper, maybe a uh, tarot deck of cards, uh, candles. Uh, is there anything else we need to, to sit down and play the game? Uh, the only other thing uh, other than candles, pen and paper in the deck is uh, a coin. But there's a couple okay. of times throughout the, throughout the game where you're prompted uh, where decisions have to be made or either ors kind of come up. And so a coin helps with that. Um, but that's the closest thing to a dice, uh, a die yeah. in the game is that, that coin. Uh, so I guess you could definitely, 
technically say a D2 uh, of some sorts, but uh, <laughs> yeah. all the other all the other mechanics happen through drawing cards, you know. Um, so if mm -hmm. a player wants to take an action where it would be uncertain or a difficult or unlikely uh, positive outcome, then the player has to draw a card. And if there's, you know, if a GM might decide it, you need to draw three cards to successfully do this. And the mm -hmm. problem with, or the difficulty in that is that there's not an immediate um, fail situation like a, a, if you're rolling a d20 and roll a one. Um, mm -hmm. But the thing is, is that with every card that's taken out of the deck, the closer you get to this evil winning, essentially. Um, okay. Because that the, the deck, uh, when there's no more cards, cards to draw or there's no more candles lit, then um, the game's over. And another thing about the tarot deck is that all the major arcana have particular narrative hooks or actions okay. that they trigger throughout the game. Um, so a card may may kill a character if it's drawn. A card may um, put it up to a coin flip. A card may, you know, be uh, give a benefit later on in the game if, if it's held on to or and those kind of things. And so um, there's a, a set of prompts within those major arcana cards that uh, help move the narrative forward and cause tension and, and those kind of things as well. Okay. So we're a group of young people in a small town, big evil stuff's happening. We need to figure out kids on bikes for whatever reason. We can't tell the adults. Um, it sounds like death is a real possibility. How does the game deal with character death? Yeah. So one of the things um, I think I hate about tabletop RPGs is character death. Uh, mm -hmm. I've been there. I've been, you know, playing those early, early games uh, with, you know, a, a, a cruel DM and have a character die that I like spend a lot of time on and then it's just yeah. over and then you, you roll a new character start over or maybe if you're in the part of a campaign where that's not possible or a session, so you might get to pick up the next session or something like that. And so mm -hmm. when playing through this and I really wanted it to be accessible and I wanted it to be where people didn't just die and they're out. And um, mm -hmm. I would say like broadly, there's a lot of influence on Gloom from games like Dread. Um, yeah. But one of the things that happened, I think when I used to run Dread back in the day was that when people would die, they're just, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> like <laughs> just yeah. sit here and wait, you know, or whatever. Until yeah. y'all get through. And yeah. And so with a Jenga tower, death can happen like really quick, right? Like a block tower. Cause you could, you could knock mm -hmm. it over really easily. And so there's, mm -hmm. there's a pretty high chance of death early on in gloom. And so one way I wanted to kind of kind of reimagine or reapproach that and the rules are, you know, if you want to just completely play a new character or pick, take over an NPC, you could, if that's something that someone would prefer in the story. Uh, but one of the ways that I wanted to kind of keep dead players involved or dead player characters involved was to allow them to continue to exist in a different format. So they, they can no longer draw cards, but there's particular actions that they can perform. And so, you know, maybe if your story's like actually more supernatural, that character becomes a ghost, right? Maybe that's mm -hmm. what narratively makes sense uh, in a world if, you know, you're whatever this evil is, uh, maybe that. But then there's other, you know, contexts where maybe this evil is more alien. And so maybe this person loses their corporeality. They, they lose their body and they die physically, but there's some way for their mind to continue on. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that came up in one of the early tests was like this character um, got to kind of like get their body was gone, but their, their consciousness lived within the group. Like there was this event that happened, okay. uh, uh, dealing with this more kind of alien interdimensional creature and, uh, they lost their body, but their mind existed, but only when the group was together. And so this character got to continue to play narratively, be a part of the conversation, be a part of trying to find solutions, even though they couldn't draw cards anymore. Um, mm -hmm. they still got to 
to participate in the narrative, but then there's also key things that like dead player player characters can do. They can, uh, there's mm-hmm. times when they can add cards from the discard pile back into the deck and those kind of things. Oh, okay, cool. All right, that sounds cool. So there's a way for the, the character or the player, more importantly, let like you say, to stay involved and be part of the story, but there are some mechanical consequences of death so it's it still means something and has an impact but it's it doesn't mean go away we're done playing the game now um, right. that's good to hear um so with the um so with the game it sounds like it's kind of really open tool set that you could tell a variety of different stories like you say some people have gone for the aliens some have gone for like esoteric old horror in the woods so you could do lots of things how do you um you know create the the town and what the threat is and and the characters yeah, and so yeah, thank you for asking that because you know the tarot is not just a mechanical aspect of like moving the story along. Uh, the tarot, uh, the the whole point of tarot is you know, or not the whole point, but one of the things that's very mm-hmm. useful about tarot is the ability to be able to interpret these cards. And yeah. so you know, generally when cards are pulled uh, during the game mechanically, those cards, what they are, um, have significance, and they can be interpreted like in in. In relation to the story that's unfolding uh but kind of in the pre-setup um of the game the first phase of the game is that you're basically creating your characters the town and the threat with the tarot cards Mm -hmm. and so there's kind of a series of prompts where you will draw tarot cards and lay them out in a spread uh to Mm -hmm. determine and answer questions based on card positionings on this in this tarot spread about the town and you collectively kind of uh, answer those together and then the same thing kind of happens for the threat as well is that you reshuffle the deck you draw you lay out a tarot spread for the threat and you answer these questions based on this this spread for it to develop the sense of what this threat is and so there's a lot of like um collective imagining so the town gets built collectively through the tarot as mm-hmm. the group does it the threat gets uh, created that way and then individual characters get created through the tarot as well um, and then one of the things that's also crucial about tarot or the character creation for me was that trying to create a sense of connectedness. And so mm-hmm. um, you can draw the tarot cards and you get to interpret, you know, for your character, but then your relationship is determined uh, to the next ca- the character beside you is determined by the person to your right. And so they get oh, to okay. define who, how your connect, your characters are connected. And obviously there's like consent, you know, if someone says, you know, something just totally ridiculous sure. that, you know, you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can, you can veto that or whatever, but uh, it's meant to help kind of really round that out as well. But the tarot, you know, it functions as a space for not only moving the story forward, but creating mm-hmm. the building blocks for the story and uh, for the narrative. I'm really glad you mentioned that mechanic about how um, one person decides their character and then the next person decides the relationship. And there's some structure to that, because I sometimes find with world building, it's it's really helpful to have some mechanics in place to make sure one person isn't dominating the conversation maybe not purposefully but you know if you get an idea and you're running with it and you're excited it could be very easy for the shy person at the table to you know find it difficult to kind of jump in so it sounds like there is yeah a bit of structure around that so to prevent that from happening and maybe give quieter people the opportunity to step forward which is which is always good to hear that um so you talk a lot in the games about games and rituals and your kind of um partly being your inspiration for choosing tarot decks instead of dice and things like that. Could you talk a little bit more about that and the importance of it in the game? Yeah. So um, like I mentioned earlier, I have another project that, you know, is Mm -hmm. um, religiously agnostic in the sense that it's open to Mm -hmm. participants of people with all different religions and spiritualities and kind of those kind of Mm -hmm. backgrounds, some with none, some with, you know, various uh, particular faith commitments. And, and so in that work, um, 
I've just realized like the the importance of like games, uh, even before then, really, of that they just create a, sp a safe space for people to explore things about themselves in the world that they may not have uh, the space for outside of that. And so, mm -hmm. in thinking through, uh, in it, a game doesn't have to be overtly spiritual or religious or those mm -hmm. kind of things. Like, I'm not talking about like you know like corny Bible stuff. As, as a Christian, like I don't want to play a game about the Bible or anything like that. Uh, I want to I want to play you know games that help like me think deeply about the world and my mm -hmm. relationship to other people, and not necessarily even overtly. But um, and so one of the things is that in Gloom the game starts because it, it's almost a safety mechanic to be honest with you the game starts mm -hmm. and ends with the ritual um because mm -hmm. you know uh, particularly in horror games things can be difficult they can be hard things can come mm -hmm. up um that are uneasy and um whether we're watching a movie or anything like that even when it's over sometimes we still feel that stress in our body or those feelings or the emotions that they came up mm -hmm. with and so um within gloom the game begins after the creation of everything with a ritual uh, and the ritual is to kind of help us like say okay now we are in this space we are in the world of gloom who we were you know we, we've kind of faded into this place and this is what is here. And then at the end of it, there is a, a, a ritual to kind of exit out of that space to so say, you know what, like the, the evil's gone. These characters were great, but they're not us. And, you know, mm -hmm. to give players an opportunity to kind of decompress um, from mm -hmm. whatever may happen. Because, again, it is a horror game. And, uh, you know, like imaginations run wild. And, uh, you know, they, they still, even if it is all in our heads, we know the effects that it can have on our bodies and those kind of things. And so for me, broad, so that's like why. I, I worked in the ritual uh, specifically to Gloom, but mm -hmm. just broadly, games and rituals function so similarly. Like if you, on a social, on an anthropological and sociological perspective, uh, games and ritual are, are very uh, similar in the way they function uh, in our lives. They create space for the, where the normal kind of rules and regulations and things of reality yeah. don't exist. Whether that's soccer or D&D, &D, or yeah. whether that is a liturgy at a church or tarot, um, these spaces kind of create, they create a, a sacred space. Um, a magic circle is is the term that uh, historian Johan uh, Huizinga uses, and uh, the mm. kind of where we, those normal bounds just don't exist anymore. We're in a separate space. Um, and it's a permeable, permeable boundary, of course, but um, so to me, just as someone who's very interested in the way that our actions and, and our rituals and our commitments and our habits and whether they're religious or not, uh, shape who we are, um, this connectedness between games and rituals has just been something that was really, um, something that interests me in my own academic work, um, uh, currently in grad school and those kind of things. And so, um, it just felt proper to fit it into gloom, um, and to talk about it through gloom because gloom is a horror game that uses ritual elements like tarot and candles to tell a story, to help people enter into a different space, into a different narrative. And so I just wanted to highlight that connectedness, that connection between mm -hmm. ritual and gameplay and the importance of how it can shape us and give us alternative experiences. Yeah. Uh, I think it's interesting you mentioned the ritual helps as almost a safety mechanic to to kind of bookend the story. And uh, throughout October, we've been doing, talking about different kind of horror tabletop RPGs. And obviously, safety mechanics are always uh, something that we bring up when, when dealing with horror, just to make sure everyone's playing the game that they want to be playing. Um, but with the rituals, I also think that must really help with like setting the tone and the kind of, you know, because horror really needs a specific kind of you know, vibe, a tone in the room for it. Um, it sounds like the game with the mechanics and the setup really leans into that with starting with the ritual to bring you into the space. 
use the candles if possible to be the only lighting around you so that creates that kind of creepy atmosphere what other kind of um guidance or advice would you give to people running the game to help create the right atmosphere for gloom yeah i definitely think you know if you wanted to get like some kind of cool playlist or to to go along with it that's ambient you know fitting into the story um you i mean you could go you could go all out i know people that do you know when they when they play dnd and whether or play mm-hmm. rpgs no matter what it is they, they they do everything they can to make the space seem like it it is that story or in that world and so you mm-hmm. can do that but you don't really have to so much go over the top i think with gloom because the idea is that through the game there's going to be a decreased amount of light <laughs> available so it already aesthetically kind of functions as kind of closing in uh and shortening and um uh, dimming you know the the potential for success or um winning mm-hmm. so to speak in in gloom um, one of the things that I, I love love most about the ritual is the the opening ritual is that it starts completely in the dark. Mm-hmm. So when everybody's ready, you turn off the lights and you functionally sit there until someone's uncomfortable <laughs> or until you begin to feel kind of uneasy that you're sitting in the quiet with a bunch of people in the dark. And then when that that feeling you know happens, uh, then you begin to every player begins to you know one player lights a light and they hand the lighter to someone else and then until everything's illuminated and so you you start off kind of in in the darkness in in without seeing anything to being able to have the light again and then through the game it fades out and um so i think aesthetically like it's already there um a playlist i'm sure would be great um mm-hmm. if you can you know ambient music if you're playing whatever kind of game you're playing there's a thousand you know things out there that are already like pretty made up for those setting those kind of moods or whatever. But uh, I definitely prefer to be, I prefer the silence and just letting the dark do, do the, the crux of, uh, mm-hmm. of holding up that kind of aesthetic feeling for gloom. But uh, yeah, there's definitely opportunities there to expand that and uh, kind of help cultivate that even more. I think. Yeah. I think that's really true. I sometimes think, giving a little bit of information or allowing uh, silence is more scary because generally players' imaginations will think of something far more scary than you could ever say to them out loud. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I think, yeah, giving space for silence is a really good a really good point on that for, for this game and always, but almost transfer to any other horror uh, game that you're running or playing in. Um, that sounds really great. I've come to a lot at the end of my sort of questions, uh, you know, about the game. Um, so if people are interested uh, after hearing about it, um, could you tell us about the Kickstarter and what what sort of things, how people can get involved and support the game? Yeah, so there's, this Kickstarter is is a lot different than some of my previous ones. Um, okay. In that, the I would say, for the most part, the, the price tag is a little higher because producing uh, tarot cards is not cheap. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. 78 deck of cards, you know. Um, and you know, so, yeah, if you can you can come on, if you can share, if you can just talk, if you're talking about it, if you're interested back, obviously. Um, the reward tiers are pretty straightforward. There's a digital reward of just the rules. There's a print reward of just the standard Gloom mm-hmm. tarot deck, which is 78 cards that are like mm-hmm. slightly altered. Um, kind of more traditional uh, tarot art um, that comes with like a 32 page rule book all kind of packaged in the box. And then mm-hmm. there's an expanded edition that has a, a tarot or has an Oracle deck, which is offers 22 um, additional cards. Um, and these, this Oracle deck could be used just like any standard Oracle deck, like in the sense of like for reflection or however anyone would in their own kind of practice. Uh, but it also comes with supplemental rules for gloom um, to be added into that. And so, which I really love originally um, 
the bright Oracle expansion for gloom was originally kind of uh, just an Oracle deck I had designed for my own kind of spiritual practice. And then mm-hmm. I developed some uh, alternative like magic system for like, just play, pull this into whatever game you're playing for like a magic mm-hmm. system or a magic user. Um, but then when I started reworking on gloom, I really wanted to pull it in and make it a part of it. And so, um, there's some alternative rules, um, that really expand, um, the way players interact or can interact or have kind of say, (laughs) have some say over each other in the narrative, um, Mm -hmm. with, with the Oracle deck. Um, so yeah, those are the three kind of, um, those are the three kind of reward tiers or reward levels. There's no, uh, stretch goals because I do not believe in stretch goals or what I like to call stress goals. Um, <laughs> I just don't, I don't, I, I put a lot of work and a lot of time into the game and I feel like it, it is yeah. good. And uh, I could have framed some of the things probably as stretch goals that are already there. Uh, but I just want it to be what it is and people who are interested in it can, can participate and uh, back it and share it and those kind of things uh, for, for what you see is what you get kind of thing. Yeah, I I believe that sentiment a lot. We're known at EM Publishing that we don't do stretch goals very often, uh, hardly ever, for that exact reason. We're like, well, we've 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 got it here. It's here for you to use it, and this is this is kind of what it is. Uh, especially because we, which sounds similar to you, have done most of the development in advance of the Kickstarter going live. So a lot of those decisions kind of have been made and things like that. Um, yeah. Fantastic. So yeah, so the Kickstarter, um, the link is on the page if you're watching uh, live and in the show notes if you're listening to the podcast. So check that out because it is about 24 hours left from uh, posting this <laughs> going up there. Um, but Ryan, if people are interested in some of the other games that you mentioned that you're working on and other projects, where's the best place for them online to, to check that out and find out more? Yeah, you could go to paradoxpress.games, which uh, mostly links to uh, our itch.io account, which has all of our digital games, our backlog of like 20 games of varied genre and format and mechanics. Uh, Very few of them are even remotely similar in how they function. Uh, But so we might have something for you, whether you like OSR stuff or you like weird solo games um, (laughs) there. Uh, uh, Several of our print uh, games are available out there. We, uh, by the way, the Broken Moon, which is a solo game we developed, is print and published by Exalted Funeral. Um, mm-hmm. kind of our magnum opus, our biggest game to date is project terminus and it is available through plus one exp.com. Um, and so, uh, but those are the two, two places you can go to get those games if you need physicals of anything, but, uh, other, otherwise just, if you go to paradoxpress.games, you'll find all, all of the things, all the information you need. Fab. That's great. Um, thanks so much for coming on Ryan and, um, all the best for the Kickstarter. I'm a backer, so I'm excited, uh, to, to see it come to fruition. Um, but do you, as always, I ask you if you have any recommendations for any other indie tabletop RPGs and as always the rules are, it can't be D and D and it can't be a game that you've made. Yeah. Um, I've been, I was thinking about this trying to come up uh, to get ready. And I was thinking that I talked about, I was going to recommend Dream Chaser, which I don't know I recommend the last time I was here, but I just spent so much time with it. Uh, <laughs> a game, uh, a solo game. I do want to, I was trying to think of like, mm-hmm. I play a lot of solo games and it's just like yeah. there's a lot. Um, mm-hmm. But there was a, I stumbled upon it. It's a solo game called Nihilation, a post doomsday solo RPG. Um, I think I've it heard is by, yeah, Jason Burroughs is the the designer uh aesthetically it's like all it's it's my kind of jam and it's really fun um kind of very different from the solo games that i usually play because i tend to play more like solo journaling kind of games and those kind of things but mm-hmm. yeah uh it's called annihilation so like an annihilation but without the a and mm-hmm. um 
the description is a foretelling of doomsday has come to pass all that remains are fading memories the lingering shadowlands will soon also cease to be you find yourself amidst a crumbling reality with without a past but not without hope caught between the world that was and the stars that remain and uh it's a really really cool game really cool concept and just like i said as far as the artwork and the whole aesthetic of it incredibly yeah. pleasing uh so yeah do definitely go check it out um and then i i feel i was trying to think i didn't want to recommend a game again that i recommended uh last time and i don't mm -hmm. remember if i said this but the the only the other non kind of group game i've pl played um, more often than not um this last year is a game called signal to noise um, okay. and it's a two-player kind of letter letter writing game mm -hmm. uh, about two people who like one basically on earth one's leaving on a ship for another planet and you're writing letters to each other and with every as the game progresses the letters become more scrambled as the distance is there and so it's a really interesting concept uh, i'm really interested in kind of like solo not solo mm -hmm. but solo games you know because you're, yeah, you're yeah. playing you play signal to noise on your own and then you send a letter and then that person plays and sends yeah. you know, a letter back like asynchronous so, play sort of style yeah 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 so i really I, re I really like that kind of mechanical style so those are a purely solo game and kind of an asynchronous co-op game for you annihilation and signal yeah. to noise those are two great recommendations thank you very much I'm, I'm getting into solo games at the moment so i might have to check them out and uh, give them a play myself so thank you um yeah. ryan thank you so much for coming on the show again we'll be happy to have you back uh, another time so maybe next year when you're doing another project get in touch let us know uh, and thank you to everybody who watched and uh, listened we'll be back next week with more horror ttrpgs uh, for you to check out thank you very much folks bye